No, we never really got like how we're gonna start. We never figured it out. But it is what it is at this point. At this point, it's set. There's nothing we can do anymore. I mean, we can do whatever we want whenever we want. That's that's why we're the experts. Exactly. And it's why this is our fucking show. That's right. I mean, we're in it now, right? That's right. We're I'm Irene Marquette. <laughs> Oh, I'm Maggie Hewitt. And we are the experts. experts. (laughs) Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Another installment of the experts. The experts of potpourri. The experts potpourri, which I've got to say is like so fun. It's really fun. I, I really like it a lot. I love it. I could do this for the whole rest of the show. Yeah, me too. I mean... I feel like we reserve the right, like we said before, to change or do whatever we want. We can do a potpourri, like whenever, or we could always come back. I mean, whatever. All I know is it's fun. Uh, We had a listener make a suggestion for something for us to cover. They Really? Yes, it was, do you want me to tell you? Yeah. Mary Kay Latorno. Oh yeah, we, actually we should just really get into Mary Kay. I mean, I... I think I am an expert on Mary Kay Letourneau. Um, she recently passed, which is like a great time to memorialize her life. Yeah. Oh let's, my God. Let's Everything. think on it. I'm so up for it. I'm up for it too. Have you seen that William Shatner interview with her and Billy? Yes. It's from a while back. It's when, isn't that when she emerged as like, kind of like she had a big makeover? I think she had a makeover. I mean, she she kind of had a similar style for most of her life, I think. Like blonde, petite blonde baby woman was like her deal. I feel like we definitely have a lot to say about this and I want to get into it. We should bookmark this idea and come oh. Oh, it's bookmarked. It's, it's bookmarked. I feel like I could do it with no research. I bet you could. But I won't. But I feel I, like I could. I, I feel like the, you know, the, the details always make it so good. Yeah, the devil is in the details. That's what, that's what they say. Anyway, okay. Should we say what the topic is that we got yeah. last week? The subject for this week is crown. And we both, I think we're really excited by this topic. We are really excited. You know, at first I thought that I was going to look up Billie Eilish and I really wanted to understand 
her early career, her current look, why she wears the baggy clothes, why her, some of her lyrics are so provocative. I wanted to, I, I was like, oh, maybe I'll get into it. But then I decided not to. Billie Eilish, I'm not interested in anything for like people that are younger than me. Like, I'm, I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm just like, oh, Billie Eilish is interesting in that like one of her songs was like really popular on TikTok. But I don't, I mean, I, I'm just too old for Billie Eilish. That's why I wanted to research it because I don't think I understand I just don't think I understand what is up with it. And I, I thought it I could kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> yeah, you could edify yourself about like, why does Billie Eilish look like this? Yeah, like why does she dress like Missy Elliott from like the mid nineties? It's because that's what they think is cool. But isn't there like a body thing that goes along with it? Like she doesn't want to be objectified. She doesn't want to like, accentuate the form of her body which is why I she have, wears do you think that she went on some sort of twitter rant about that or like maybe in it said something about it in an inter interview that like yeah that is a part of it that she like wears baggy clothes because she's she wants to be like an anti-sex icon yeah it's interesting it just like makes you think of sex even more <laughs> Well, either she's either I don't understand <laughs> that generation because either they know that'll make you think about sex more and that's why they're like such provocateurs and like geniuses. Or as everyone in our generation is saying and was said about our generation, they're like sexless and spend all their time on the internet, which is like I don't know which it is, but everybody seems everybody still seems pretty horny to me. I don't really know, but apparently people don't have sex anymore. My my wish is that everybody's really horny. That's my that's my wish for this for our generation for their generations. Well, our generation's sexuality, our public sexuality was so disgusting when we were younger, and it was we were in so that maxim like FHM. Everybody was like porn, sex tapes, sex tapes, fake boobs, mud, sweat like girls gone wild upskirt photographs i mean truly like the most grotesque display of sexual of like hetero i mean i don't even know what to call it just i guess it's sexuality but i don't know what the fuck it was it was disgusting and i feel like yeah for 20 years now people have just been like putting being like let's just get as far away from that as possible because it was so gross yeah, that like Tucker Max. Oh my God, Tucker Max. We should do a whole series about that pool. I would love if we did like Tucker Max, the game, that whole like hyper male. Um, I don't know, just like gross. They're just that gross. That that would be good actually because Tucker Max is still around, and now he's like, I'm sorry, like he did like an apology, and now he's like. It's like, turns lot. out they don't serve beer in hell. <laughs> I know, it turns out they don't. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck. He he has a blog about, like, how to, like, sell a bestseller, like, write a bestseller or something. No. And it's like, you fool. You absolutely Disgusting. Fool. The only thing that you can do is shut up, 
go away and do community service. <laughs> do community service. Dedicate your life to something greater than you because you are absolutely nothing. I mean, what a fucking trash heap. And yes, I did read that book. How to Serve Beer in Hell. I read a lot of it when I was working I at Borders. Yeah, I was in a similar situation. I was nannying at, for a family that like was not like, I think someone like gave it to the dad as a gift or something because it was like in their basement. Like it wasn't like, I don't think they'd read it. It was like in their basement, like on their like last bookshelf, just like really not anywhere you would notice. But I noticed it because I was like all over their house all the time. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe they have this. <laughs> and then I fucking would read it when their baby was sleeping and I would just get really fired up. It's pretty bad. It's also very poorly written. Like it's not a good book. Nothing about no. it. No. So disgusting. And then that guy tried to make a movie of it. Yeah. Do you remember Gawker like published parts of the script and they were like, look at this dumpster fire. The fact that Gawker got taken down, I is like truly like I think about it once a month. Like I wish (laughs) Gawker would come back. I think about it at least once a month. I'm right there with you. We need them now more than ever, and we will never have it back. No, we're ne- we'll never have a lot of those places back. Oh, God. Yeah. <sighs> okay, Crown. The suggestion is Crown. Yes. And Should I go first? I'm going to yeah, go yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to tell you um, about this... Uh, they're called the, the Royal Family of Oud. Do you, have you heard about them? No. Okay, so for our listeners out there, I first heard about this story because um, there's a New York Times journalist named Ellen Berry who like got to know this family and wrote a, like an expose or just like wrote like a big long essay on the New York Times in 2019. And they did a supplementary like couple episodes of the daily and then they like pulled those out into their own podcast called the jungle prince yeah it's like three episodes and it's it's really great and uh detailed and she ended up being nominated for um uh pulitzer prize and ended up winning a bertrand russell prize for, for it. So it's, it's really good. There's like a lot of good info, but then there's also, they've been reported on a lot, especially like in British media. So, okay. So it was a family in the 1970s who like appeared at the New Delhi train station. It was a mother and uh, two kind of young-ish children. And they occupied the VIP waiting room at this train station. And uh, the mother was like, we are the descendants of this royal family um, called the Oud. And they had been like conquered in the 1800s. And um, they're like, you know, got sucked into history <laughs> are you remembering something <laughs> no I just I now that you say this it's sound it's starting to sound like a little bit familiar to me okay well they said um uh 
they they said that they were descendants of this royal family and they were occupying the waiting room they had dogs servants and their kids and they with said with them in this vip waiting room and they had like rugs and decorations and they they set it up like this um like it was like a royal like sitting room for them because oh they were demanding the return of their wealth and like the property of her ancestors and uh they sat in that train station for 10 years oh my god geniuses geniuses and they like i mean this is the terminal i want to see <laughs> i hate That's that movie, the terminal <laughs> what else do you, what else are you doing like what are you doing with your life that's so fucking important that you can't sit in a train station and be like i'm the queen and i'll be here until you recognize me <laughs> like why not why not well guess what the indian government did recognize them and they got all of this attention and they kind of became these living symbols of like colonialism and like the former grandeur of india that had been trampled on by these different rulers that had come through. So they had like this groundswell of support and the Indian government ended up um, to appease them. They gave them a place called Malcha Mahal, which was a 14th century hunting lodge in a forest Southwest of the city. So they were like, well, we can't like restore everything to you. So just like go live in this, you know, ancient palace. Yeah. So they were like, great, we'll go there. So they, they went there, but it was like a 14th century building and it didn't have running water. It didn't, they, they didn't have anything. They were like basically, you know, living in the forest. It would be like if they, if, if somebody just like took it over and like squatted in there. Yeah, uh, so they didn't give them like, they weren't like, we're going to restore this or like put in electricity or anything. They were just like, you can have this. Yes, exactly. Okay. And before they actually gave that to them, uh, state officials tried to give them a house, but the matriarch was, I mean, she, the one of like the BBC um, or like Guardian articles I read about this, the way they write about the family is still so seeped in you know colonialism and yeah, they like cannot get over that shit over there no they can't like they say like oh she was haughty and rude and um so st they'll be like she's stubborn and proud and like all, all of you know i'm sure what are real tough slurs for the british yeah. Uh, but the, anyway, they tried to give them a house and they were like, no, fuck you. We're royal. You're not going to just like buy us off. So they gave them this palace and they took it. And the family would give uh, interviews like with the kids. So like the kids are kind of growing up in this situation. But how are they like, making this work? Like, what are they do Like, where do they shower and stuff? They do. I mean, they, they, it, they are, they were like, homeless people basically Holy shit. yeah it's so insane it's wild there were no doors or windows no running water no electricity and just a, a, a series of large open arches that is 
Can I just say something? And I really am scared that I'm going to be like selling my family out or like saying something in a nasty way. And I really don't mean it this way because it's really cool. But when my aunt was in her twenties, she moved to the British Virgin islands and she met and fell in love with this man who was an American citizen who had been living there since the Vietnam war. He was like, he left to dodge the draft and they fell in love and got married and had three kids with my three cousins and they lived in a house that was like built into the side of a mountain like with a tree that also had like it was all like there was a shelter but like a lot of it was outdoors all open windows like no glass no running i I think they had some way to like bathe and stuff and like use a toilet but it wasn't like a sink it wasn't like a normal way well they had no electricity or anything they just like lived they were like in the islands like they just like lived on an island in this like very i mean it wasn't a palace or like they built it but it was like they were just like totally like in nature and then they moved to Oregon and like lived like a totally normal normal suburban life when their kids were like elementary school age but when they were younger they all lived they were like island children with no like normal like structures that we would recognize as normal in america and then they just came back and that was that do you think that there is like do they retain any of that feeling like do they remember it or is it like embedded in them in some way um i mean they all remember it like i remember it i used to like i stayed there with them and stuff and they i mean they and the oldest one was probably like 10 when they moved to Oregon or something. So they weren't like babies. Mm-hmm. Um, and they like speak fondly about it and they're kind of like, Oh my God, our family's so quirky and weird that we <laughs> live like this. But then like once they moved to Oregon, they were just like the most like suburban normal. And then they all got like normal jobs. Like they didn't do like, they all went to college and, just like they all still live in Oregon and you would never think that they had started living that way. Like they, that they started their lives that way. I mean, I think that they're independent thinkers, I guess, but they're not, um, they're not, I mean, no, not really. Wow. Well, it was very cool though. That is really cool. Yeah. Uh, I think there's something definitely, I don't know, romantic about that, especially to have children in that kind of situation. Yeah. It's like you and your husband and your kids and you're all just like living off the land. Like, and like my aunt would just like go into town and like buy like food from the market and like come back. And they were just, you know, that was it. That's so romantic. I know it is romantic. Um, I think there's a bit of romance to this story. I mean, until you like really get into the details, just the idea, I think that's like part of the appeal, like that this royal family from like a forgotten bloodline was living in an ancient dilapidated. Oh yeah. Like palace in the jungle of India. Like it's so, um, yeah, it sounds like a story, you know, like a, like Rudyard Kipling or something. Yeah, it totally does. It doesn't sound like, yeah, it sounds like something from like a children's like chapter book. Yeah. yeah. One of the, um, 
this journalist, uh, his name is Saeed Navi, described how he, like many other Indian journalists, had dismissed um, this woman, Ellen, from the New York Times, her quest as like the foreigner search for the exotic. And after she like wrote this whole story and like got to the truth of what, like who they were and what all happened, uh, there was kind of this feeling that no Indian journalist had like actually sat down and really investigated the family. So do you want to know the true story? Do you want to know who they were? Yes, but my first instinct was like that they were scammers. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I read was that she never, she didn't start saying that she was this person, that they just like kind of didn't really have anywhere else to go, I guess. So they just like camped out in this thing and people were like, oh, look how they carry themselves. They must be royalty and kind of this like legend sprung up and she just sort of went with it. And then when officials were like asking for their proof or documents they said that they got burned in a fire okay and um she okay what (laughs) well i just mean like whatever i don't know i mean it was like the 70s right that this all started yeah but this is pretty you can't you're not googling people here there's no dna test or anything no there's no yeah you can't like run your name through a database or any of that okay so she became known as begum which is like an honor title that means like her royal highness and then her two children were princess sakina and prince ali raza who is also known as cyrus okay and um i love that name cyrus for a boy it's a great name also ali raza is a good name Lots is a good name too. So, as it turns out, they were not royals. Okay, I they honestly were, I didn't prepare for that. Yeah. Okay, I figured they were an ordinary family. And uh-huh. do you know anything about the partition? I know driver. No, I know the Beyonce song. That, yeah, I, that was in my head as well, uh, while I was reading about this. Um, and I don't have a great handle on, like, the history of this world, but, uh, partition refers to the bloody separation of Pakistan and India in 1947. Oh, okay. That makes sense to me. So there's, it's like a very volatile political situation there in, like, the early, or the first half of the 1900s so she the the matriarch um we'll call her the begum she was an activist in pakistan where she uh was like working for the independence of kashmir and the first prime minister of india nehru mentions her in his memoirs he'd like yeah he like describes her as this troublesome activist um she was especially troublesome to uh, Pakistan's third prime minister named Mr. Bagra. And Mr. Bagra? Yes. In his memoir, Nehru describes her as a woman who does a lot of mischief. So, okay. in, yes. In 1954, she confronts this um, 
the third prime minister of Pakistan, Mr. Bagra, at a public event and argues with him about Kashmir. After that happened, she was arrested and then uh, put in a mental hospital for six months where she got electroshock therapy. Oh my God. And after, so after that happened, she came out and she was like, I am a royal. So there was that thing that I said before. I know it's crazy, right? I love that. I mean, I guess maybe it's just the way you said it, but it's like going through all this and coming up, be like, I'm a fucking queen. I am a queen. Out of your your electroshock. Yeah. Yeah. You want to kidnap me as a political prisoner and zap my brain? Fine. Give me back my kingdom. Oh my God. I love it. So when she went, um, when she like went home, she had this like narrative that she was the queen and she had two young children who believed her because they were young. And then she had an older son who was like, this isn't going anywhere good. He left home and then he would like make money and send it to them. So that's like part of how they were surviving. But they also like, she was a charismatic leader. Obviously she, you know, she she was able to capture people's imagination and she did have servants and people were like very generous to them when they were in that train station you don't stay in a train station for 10 years without some like help so where did these servants come from i don't know there were people who just believed her and loved her and wanted to serve her sort of like a cult that's kind of the that's how I was reading it. Yeah. 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 So they lived now the whole the f- whole family has passed away now at yeah. this point in 2020. There're no bl- there's no like bloodline. There's no. They because the whole family they moved there in uh 1985 to that cat like place in the jungle and they lived there the whole time and it was just the mother the son and the daughter and they you know they never married anybody and they didn't have any heirs and they were just sort of this like they just like went into the jungle and like became a legend like people would talk about them but nobody ever really saw them and it it um it took on this whole other status. So that's when this journalist like heard the legends and she was like, let's find out what's true and ended up befriending Cyrus and had like, like went to the castle and like be, or the palace and like became friends with him. And so she really delivers the story. But uh, after he died and he died in uh, 2017 of, um, I don't know. Cause that doesn't seem I was born in 1985, so that just doesn't seem like long, you know, it wasn't, a, it doesn't seem like an old age situation. Well, I would guess that maybe they were like 20 when they were, no, he died of dengue fever. Okay. Oh and my then God. the sister died in 2016. And then the Begum, she died September 10th, 1993 of suicide at the age of 62. And she died, what? 
I said she died by suicide. Oh my God. She did. And the, the story is like the story that her children told that is like the legend is that she mixed poison. She took her remaining diamonds and pearls and ground them up and then like put them in a poisonous concoction and drank them. And that's what killed her. I'm sitting here make I was making a face like the guy like what Bjork stalker would make into his camera pulling my face down grabbing my cheeks you were <laughs> the process that she killed herself by drinking her own fucking jewelry yeah she did God bless that woman wow so she was like guess what? I'm a fucking queen. I will live in this castle no matter what. And when I die, it's going to be because I drank my own jewelry. <laughs> that's you. You summed it up. <laughs> I mean, wow. That's like, I feel like she should be a millennial icon. Uh, yeah. Well, um, of course they're making a, uh, there's going to be a series for Amazon that Mira Nair is, is doing okay good so we'll be able to watch it that just was announced in july so fresh off the pages of deadline ladies and gentlemen that's right and that's a fact and you can take that to the bank to the tinseltown bank to find out what's getting made it's just so interesting that like the older brother didn't um didn't buy into this whole thing and the younger siblings did and whatever I also oh I it's been a little while since I listened to the podcast and I I couldn't find it and but I feel like they didn't bury her body for a long time if ever I feel like she was just sort of you know hanging around psycho style that's fine yeah, I would expect okay. no less. Yeah, I'd be disappointed if there was anything less. But I do believe that happens. There are some families, like, um, I know that that happens. I, I've heard, read about other families where, like, one parent is, like, a zealot and sort of a cult leader and brings the children into the fold and then like one of the children like won't go along with it like did you oh i can't i don't i have no idea what i'm talking about so i'm going to just stop but oh fuck there was like um there was a podcast about that jewish like orthodox jewish family and i'm jewish and I see anti-Semitism and everything, but this was about an Orthodox Jewish family where the, they were sort of like cult leaders and they were like very hateful and they were like extremely controlling over their children and their daughter married a doctor and they basically like, they were, they were all dentists. Like they all worked at, like the father was a dentist, the son was a dentist. And then the daughter, I don't think was a dentist, but she like she was also like had like an advanced degree and I think her husband might have been a dentist and they took out a hit on the husband and basically had him killed and oh, they yeah. went on lockdown and like they haven't been arrested they haven't like nothing has happened but they 
but this podcast like all but says like they are guilty of this and they like need to be like arrested for it and their oldest son like hadn't had any contact with them for years and then when he found out that this happened was like I 100% believe that they did it and like hasn't had a I mean and then there are other families like that where there's like a where like one parent one child will like leave the fold damn is that over my dead body yes over my dead body and yeah well irene that's a crazy story it's a crazy story um I just, I love also when the point where things that are real become legends and then it's so hard to go back to what the truth is. It's, yeah, just like our brains need to make legends up. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's also sort of like they were insisting that everybody just accept this and people did. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking about them like like once the government kind of like capitulated and gave them that place and then they just went and, you know, like drifted into their own little world, the public like like there was like a disassociation of these were people like there was just like no curiosity really about who they actually were from what it seems like but it became this legend of like there there's a prince he lives in the woods but that's what they wanted i mean they created that yeah it's weird to me that once they got this castle or whatever this like place to live that they didn't i don't know try to because I mean, now I can't imagine that happening in the per the family not trying to be in the public eye for as long as possible and capitalize off that as much as they can. Yeah. I I also feel like I don't know if somebody did a demonstration like that today. I I feel like they would they would be arrested in like 24 hours well they'd be immediately arrested i mean at the very least arrested but also there's no way that anything like that could happen without some sort of like social media component or like totally without a huge debate happening online about it without everybody having an opinion about it without four million think pieces about what it means they would have so much more notoriety, but we would just like cannibalize it. Like we would just take that story immediately and it would never have an opportunity to like grow organically or to like actually happen in that way now. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. Did you ever see that um, old Kirk Douglas movie, Ace in the Hole? No. Oh, it's it's so good. Um, he, uh, I, I forget the exact setup, but he gets, basically he gets stuck in a hole and, uh, he's the ace in the hole <laughs> and oh, yeah. 
was it on Criterion? I think it is on Criterion, but it becomes this like it be it becomes a media sensation. This is like the 1940s, and they I did see this movie. I have seen this movie. It's so good. They like set up a carnival. It's like yes. there. It it is the entertainment. It's like consuming yeah. the tragedy of of a person. Uh, and they like put like a microphone in there. He can like be on the radio or something, and he's like yeah. becomes this like famous guy while he's stuck in a hole. Yeah, he's like yeah. mine. He's like a. He, he's like an average guy who's like driving down the road and he like sees like there's something going on in the mine he like goes to help and gets stuck in there and then he becomes like this like huge attraction yes uh he's a disgraced reporter it's from 1951 a billy wilder film i mean yeah. you can't go wrong with billy wilder no Yes, I did see this movie. A cynical, disgraced reporter who stops at nothing to try to regain a job on a major newspaper. Oh, he goes in to get the story of the, they're like miners or something in there. Yeah. And then he gets stuck in the hole. Oh yeah, and then there's like this girl. Yes, I have seen this. Well. Wow. Well, totally. I guess... Um, I guess we've haven't really come that far. <laughs> Actually, we've only gotten worse. Yeah, we. My, yeah, we love my, being on camera. <laughs> we love being on fucking camera, and we love a goddamn story. I feel like mine is like sort of related to this, like ace in a hole, like you know, perception is reality. Ooh, what is it? What is it? I mean, look, what I want to talk about is something you probably know about and maybe some of our listeners know about too. I want to talk about Richard III. Ooh. Okay. The play by Shakespeare? I want to talk about the whole sitch. Okay. So Richard III is a play by Shakespeare. Richard III is a man. Richard III is a skeleton that they found in a parking lot. Richard III is a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) What an arc. So who is Richard III? Okay. So like, do you know, like, have you like read the play or anything? I've read the play. I know that they love to set the play in like times of like fascism or that's a play that like updates really well, right? They, oh, is it? It probably does. I've never, I've seen King Lear updated and I've seen, definitely seen Macbeth updated, but I feel like this would be another one that would be like, right on the money for being updated. I believe there was, it was from 1995. It's with Ian McKellen and Robert Downey Jr. and Annette Bening. And I believe they said it during World War II. That makes sense to me. I saw, did you see King Lear at state with Stacey Keach at the Goodman when we lived in Chicago? No. They, they updated that one and um, I got to go see it. I got like special, <laughs> like at the end of King Lear, he like comes out and he's like naked and Stacey Keach came out naked and was like the big deal. But because Did you see went, his, his big day? No, because I went and saw this, I was poor. And so like, I got some like weird discount that was like for students, which meant that I saw it with like high school kids. So like 
who were like being bussed in to see it. And so they made him wear like flesh colored underwear when he came out. <laughs> Expose children to art. Show your dick. But also they said that one in like a weird like Slavic like I don't know like post USSR situation like I didn't really get it but I saw this version of uh or I saw this play called Lear by Young Jean Lee at the Soho Rep in New York and it is it starts where King Lear ends and then it becomes like very deconstructed and ends up um, being like a conversation about elderly parents, like getting sick or dying. And it, it, it was, um, it was amazing. It was so good. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things I've ever seen. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's up there. I'll put it, I'll put it in like the top 10 for sure. Wow. Of experimental um, plays that I saw. It's in your top 10 of experimental plays or of all things? Uh, my top 10 of, of, of uh, experimental plays. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So I wanted to do, when I was like, I wanted to do King Lear or whatever. No, I didn't. I wanted to do Richard III. Three. <laughs> because... Um, I'm straight up in three roses in right now, but I was like, I'm, I've always been sort of obsessed with like how they found him in a parking lot. Yes. So what I thought when I got into it was that like, oh, like some guy was like digging in a parking lot and found this body and it turned out to be Richard III. That's not really what happened. What really happened? What really happened was just, like, it was, like, an archaeological dig where, like, they knew that he had been buried in this church cemetery at some point. And the church cemetery had been lost to history. Like, the church was gone. They didn't know where it was anymore. And through, like, a series of just, like, basically, like, historical detective work, they were, like, it's here in this place where now there's a parking lot. So they excavated... And they were like, we'll never find it. And it's hard to understand like what a big deal it is because like when I was in high school and college, this happened in 2012, I think, or 2011, 2012. And when I was in high school and college, I went to like theater school for high school and I like majored in theater in college and I studied theater a lot. And Richard III was just another historical play. I mean, it was like one of the bigger ones, but it was like, there was so much mystery around Richard III because of what his life had been and like what happened to him and nobody had ever found the body. And like in the play, Richard III, he's depicted as this like hideous beast. Oh yeah. He's deformed, right? Well, he's got a hunchback and he's always talking about how ugly he is. And like, that's like one of the things about him and like the way that he gets a, away with everything that he does is he's got this like silver tongue where he like manipulates people but he's actually like so he's like extremely grotesque and like the most famous thing about him is that he's got a a hunchback and um he's got and in according to historical records he has his right shoulder goes higher than his left shoulder so he's got scoliosis Okay, well, yes, he did have scoliosis, but that was not how he had been portrayed. So, like, 
But that would give you a hunchback and make one side taller than the other. Well, he did have scoliosis because the one of the ways that they found out that it was him was they did, once they found the body and excavated it, they, first of all, his feet were gone. <gasps> Why were his feet gone? Nobody was knows. he too big for the box? No, I they think were like, been- some of them has to go. We need three inches. Well, no, I think that they had just been like lost to history, but they absolutely would have just like cut off his feet for the box. Like Lizzie Borden's dad used to do allegedly. Do you oh, remember that? Right. Oh my God. I <laughs> forgot about that. People would cut off their legs so that he could save money on wood. <laughs> what a fucking freak. Did he put them in the coffin like next to them? Like I hope like- so. I mean, because what else would you do with them? I don't know. Put them in the fireplace. Be like, I'll put him in the same fucking pit her her fucking dress ended up in and her hatchet. <laughs> <laughs> the family body pit. The body pit, exactly. Um, the evidence pit. So he was missing his feet. But wait, wait, wait. Why would that happen? Why would his feet be lost to history? They were like eaten by, taken by rodents or something. Nobody knows. They just, they oh. were gone. I mean, this, they were, this was like a 500 year old body. They were just like, oh, feet are gone. They didn't even know, they didn't even, the king, the fucking king of England killed in battle, disgraced, hated, buried in a church. And they were like, we don't know where the church is. So once that the feet are secondary, it's like not, they, the big thing was just like finding the church, then the body, the The feet, nobody's worried about the feet. They're like, let Irene worry about the feet. Don't worry about the feet. The feet are gone. (laughs) Worry about the fucking head and worry about the spine. Because his spine, they were like, okay, he's got scoliosis. Bingo, we love to see it because that means that the like hunchback thing is probably true because they didn't know, did he really have a hunchback? Was this like something that Shakespeare made up? Because Shakespeare made up a lot of shit in his historical plays. To tell a better story, he changed everyone's ages, he changed dates, he changed the battle length, he changed whatever the hell he wanted to. Yeah, and he's the gold standard. That's the gold standard, baby. That's William Shakespeare. Don't forget it. Yeah, truth is sometimes greater than the details. Oh, almost always. Almost always. And for for evidence of that, listen to this very podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we are hitting a deeper, more authentic truth that goes far beyond facts. Always. That's our job. That's why we're experts. That is, that literally is why we're experts and you get it because you're listening to it. Thank Thank you you for listening. Okay. This is a good time to rate us, by the way. (laughs) Five star only. Um, So he died in battle famously on the battlefield. What battle was it? Do you know? It was like the battle of somebody. It starts with a B. I don't know. Battle Um, of the bulge. Not that one. Um, <laughs> I'm Googling. What battle did Richard the Third? The sound of you typing is so funny, Aggie. <laughs> well, honey, I don't know. And I've got to find out. So anyway, I'll, that's TBD. I'm looking, as I'm looking, I'm going to continue. Battle to, like, of Bosworth. There you go. How come I didn't hear you typing? Because I have a cover on my keyboard. Okay, so he died in the Battle of Bosworth and he died, he had like 10 holes in his head. 
What? He had two that would have killed him. So they were just using his head as a pincushion. They were like, there's evidence that says that after he was killed, they strung him up and hung him out in the square for everybody to see and like laugh at, which was historically supported by documentation where it said that he was like subject to like public humiliation after his death. I don't care what you do to my body after I die. Well, I wouldn't, I won't do that. That's on the, but if you did, I don't care. Well, okay. But I think the point was just that they like, we're so anti Richard III because he was the last Plantagenet King. So that was like one bloodline. And then he was challenged by this other bloodline, the Tudors and they won. And that is the like reign that Elizabeth was the queen under that Shakespeare was writing under. So being the last Plantagenet King meant that he was like despised by the Tudors. So when Shakespeare was writing this play about Richard III, he couldn't be like, let's present like a balanced story about this like, um, you know, reign that is like completely like the arch nemesis of like the queen of that I'm literally writing this play for right now. Like it has to be super anti-Richard III. So ugly. They got the, the, the best revenge. They made him ugly. But so what Richard, but what Richard III did and is supported that he actually did is actually like rather fucked up. Do you know about his, about like what he did and like what the play's about? I don't remember. Okay. So Richard III was like the prince. His brother was the king. And when his brother was like, young guy still 40 which in medieval times I thought was like oh you're old by then but not really so when he was 40 he died and he had two sons his sons were nine and 12 too young to rule too young to rule and they were heavily influenced by their mother who was I'm not sure I'm gonna just say I believe foreign born or at least like some from some family that was like at odds with the Richard III family okay so Richard III is like looking at this situation, assessing it. He's like, I cannot have this. He's like, these kids cannot be the fucking king. This 12 year old kid who's like a total mama's boy can't be the king. It'd be like in Game of Thrones. Remember in Game of Thrones when they go to that, when like that, whatever her name is, goes to visit her sister and she's like nursing her adult son. Yes. Or like Robin. You old son. Yes. He was like, that's what he's foreseeing. He's like, fuck. They're like, let the bad man fly, mother. Yes. And he's like, he knows that he's the bad man because he has killed before, I think, at this point already. Um, But according to this one historian, it was like really just like this. He was like a normal guy who was just like, whatever, I'm like the prince. But for like a one month period, he turned bad. And he was like, (laughs) set up the dominoes and the dominoes fucking fell. So he's he like killed a couple of adults, whatever. And he takes these two (laughs) boys under his wing and he's like, I'm going to be their caretaker. And he's like, why don't you come stay at the tower of London? Uh Oh, that sounds like a trap. It literally was because the boys are never seen again, ever. (gasps) 
And there was a rumor that said that their bodies were literally in the walls at the Tower of London, that they're like spackled into the wall. Have you been to the Tower of London? I have. Have I walked around outside of it, but I didn't do the inside tour. I wanted to do the inside tour and then fucking COVID hit and uh, museums are closed. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. Well, if you do the tour, they'll tell you all about this. If you go inside. Cool? I bet it's so creepy in there. It's creepy and it's tiny. Every medieval thing is always really small. <laughs> yeah. People were smaller back then. People were smaller, their shit was smaller, and it was like this, like, it's like this tiny, creepy fucking thing, and they were like, I don't know, I, like, I was a kid when I went, and I have a memory that I know is not real, of, like, there being a cutout in the wall, and seeing, like, the skeletons of these two boys, like, in the wall, which does not exist. It doesn't exist, it's not there, it hasn't even been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he actually did it it's just like very highly speculated that he did it um but the image was just so stark that i just like imagine their bodies like in the wall like they're in here somewhere and nobody knows where although in the 1600s a carpenter found a box with two children's skeletons in it under a stairwell (gasps) at the tower of london which that again so freaky i know has been lost to history and like there's no way to prove be to historic like there isn't proof that that is those boys but there are two children's skeletons in the fucking tower of london and they're found like 200 years later when they're all dead i mean richard's long dead the whole family the whole bloodline is gone whoa i found a wikipedia page called princes in the tower Mm-hmm. anybody wants to check it out yes read it learn all about it so where was the parking lot that they found the richard iii's body okay so i don't know where exactly the parking lot was but the it had been the site of this church that had obviously been long gone at the time that they found the body it was 530 years after his death. Oh, in Leicester. Leicester. Yeah, Leicester. 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 L-E-I-C-E-S-T-E-R. Leicester. Leicester. Sure. Richard the, Richard III, the king, found beneath a car parking lot has been reburied in a solemn but celebratory service 530 years after his death in battle. Um, So, and also apparently when they reburied him, um, a poem was read about him by one of his distant relatives. Do you want to guess who it was? Shakespeare. Benedict Cumberbatch. What? Yes. Benedict Cumberbatch read a poem about Richard III because he was one of his distant cousins. The DNA was tested against like a very, against a a relative in Canada. And another person who claims to want to remain anonymous. Was it Benedict? Who knows? Um, Wow, that's amazing. 
and they were like that the scoliosis and the um location and the battle wounds and the dna were enough to for them to like definitively say this is richard the third 530 years later under a parking lot i just think the work that archaeologists anthropologists historians the work they do is just so important oh my god i mean can you believe like people were just like driving around parking their cars going to work and like using it and being like whatever like this is just where i live this is just where i work this is where i park my car every single day and, and every day they're parking on top of richard the third of richard the fucking third and they have no idea that that was ever there what and else it, is under there you know it makes you really makes you think well yeah because they found something else and they were like oh is this debris from the battle where he died it was no. some, it was missing feet. It was a Roman nail from before Richard the Third. It was like older. They found in his that had gotten like buried in with him, like in, from years of just sitting there. So I mean, there's so much shit underneath our feet at all times. Yeah. Also, the way he was buried, he was like in this weird position. Like he was like curled up, and his head was weird, and his hands were like they thought were together, and they were like from the position. It looks like he might have been buried with his hands bound. Because he was, because he was totally disgraced. I mean, he killed children <laughs> to become the king, which is really, really bad. Yeah, objectively bad. Objectively bad, even by like medieval standards, it was bad. And then, you know, he was, I think he was challenged for power more than more than that but that became like the moral story about richard iii that he killed his nephews um wouldn't it be just the, thinking like i mean i again like it's so interesting to think about like the role that legend plays in these stories and like that like you were saying shakespeare was writing this to appease Queen Elizabeth, who was like part of the victorious bloodline. So they had mm -hmm. to make him as gross as possible. Mm -hmm. But don't you think that somebody, somebody who like kills children to get in power, it's a lot scarier if they're handsome and charming, right? I do think it's scarier if they're handsome and charming. And he, in the play, he is also charming. Like he, he's, he's got that silver tongue. The silver time yeah like he like the very first scene is like because it's part of a trilogy and so the very first scene there's like lady anne is like walking and she's like with the body of the king and she's like sobbing because like her husband's dead her father's dead and she like hates richard the third and he's like no 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 give me a chance she's like okay i'll fucking marry you and then like he kills her too like he's just like woos everybody charms everybody bullshits everybody and his like he's like serge gainsbourg yeah, well, he's like, <laughs> he's a bullshit artist. Um, and they, for a long time, I mean, definitely when I was like, before they found his body, I think a lot of people were like, did he really have this hunchback? Like, did he really have this issue? Or like, was this just totally a shakespeare using like a physical manifestation of his like internal ugliness and like nobody really knew um 
And it turns out it's like kind of a combination of both, which is how I think the stuff plays out all the time where it was like, he did have scoliosis. Like he would have had, you know, he would have been somehow sort of disfigured. I I mean, he would have had this issue, but I don't think that he was like a grotesque beast. There's a, they did a recreation of his face based on the skull and like they have an image of what he would have looked like. And he's kind of handsome. I mean, he's not hideous or anything. He's like a normal looking person. I'd like to see that a picture. I'll send you one and we can put it, maybe we can put it on our Instagram. Oh, that's great. The Shakespeare. So here's one other little tidbit. I'll just tell you this before I send it to you. So Shakespeare, when he was younger, um, so in like Elizabethan England, plays were basically, plays were illegal for a really long time until they were allowed to do like pageant plays or morality plays that were all like, had these like very serious like stock characters where people would literally play like truth and justice and good and evil. And that was the only type of theater that really existed when for like a really long time in like during like the Tudor period and before that and so when Shakespeare was a kid he would have seen like a ton of that type of theater and like that might have been the only theater that he was exposed to and one of the kids I'll just invent the rest of it (laughs) well he yeah he was like I'll just make up everything else but one of the characters was called the vice and it just represented all that was like evil and bad in the world it was kind of like a commedia dell'arte type thing but it was in um england instead of italy and richard iii is like modeled almost exactly on that character the vice and he even refers to himself as the vice like repeatedly so that might have been so cool isn't that cool i love that shit and um I also have heard it speculated that it was actually a critique of Henry VIII, um, who Shakespeare couldn't criticize because he was the father of Queen Elizabeth, so he couldn't say anything. So, like, sometimes these plays, they're, like, really talking about somebody else that they can't talk about or something. Who knows if it's true? But that is also a theory about Richard III. Wow. I know. That's so interesting. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. Um, I'm like looking, I'm Googling that picture. You're probably going to hear me typing again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely, I definitely do. I looked, I just like looked up the paintings that are available of Richard III and his like pasty little emo kind of look. Yeah. Um, he looks I mean, like he thinks he has a silver tongue. That's for sure. I mean, did he, did he not? Probably not. I mean, it's hard to say no to the person who's in charge who would like just kill children. He killed children. I think he killed other people too. But like this, this was just all like the monarchy during medieval times was so batshit insane. And it would just be like, okay, everything is going to go crazy right now unless I kill five people because I, otherwise, like, this, like, 
lunatic is going to become the king or a child is going to become the king or like something horrific will happen and only I can stop it based on when I was born or whatever. I mean, it was just a total like, I mean, obviously there's no excuse for killing your nephews, but there's no excuse, but it was a different time. Yeah, sure. Definitely a different time. How do you think you would have fared being like a member of court? I feel like there with like all the maneuvering and the like the game playing and you know, the like social chess of it all, like how how would you do in a situation like that? Part of me wishes that I was born into something that was like so overtly like that. And I, maybe I would have done okay. I mean, I still think that we're living in a time where everyone is playing social chess and I'm not doing like exceptionally well in that arena. So like maybe bad, but I know for an absolute fact because I know I, my family, like my father is an English citizen and like I know my family's history that I would have just been like, a servant or like I would have been like a peasant or something like I would never have been in court like I know where my family comes from and it's not anything remotely close (laughs) and it's real real bottom of the barrel yeah we were like like field hands total yeah I mean like my that's why I always hated like um that fucking show Downton Abbey and stuff because I know everybody watches it and they're like I would be this I would be that but like my grandmother like my great-grandmother and my grandmother were both like literally maids in like they were like the staff in one of those houses like that was what my whole family was so it's like I wouldn't have been what in service yeah and did I tell you when I went to England last like two years ago and I like visited my dad um they're all way 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 in the north and it's like called Northumberland and um there's a there's like a you know there's like everywhere has its own little like palace or whatever and when we went to the um we went and did a tour of the castle at Northumberland you went down into the servants quarter and there was a sign above like the where you went down the stairs that said know your place oh my god and we were just like that's us like I was like that's us like that's what we would have been so I'm I know exactly how I would have fared in court and the answer is not well honey I would have been a servant (laughs) unless I could have finagled my way into being like a prostitute you know what when I was a kid I remember reading about like courtesans or whatever and I I think I was like nine years old and I I don't know if I was that young but I was like a young child and I was like I if I lived in the past I would have been a prostitute I've always said this I totally agree with you I think the prostitutes had the best lives I mean they got to drink alcohol do whatever they wanted they didn't have to marry some pig they got to have sex all the time they got to be hot they got to wear makeup like they got to do everything that you wanted like they got to live the life that I lived in college and they were just judged for it more harshly well some of them like had I mean depending on who their like person was 
like some of them had elevated status like as you know uh, mistress or like yeah, some of them did but i would want to like live in a brothel with the other girls <laughs> i know but uh, like i feel like there were some courtesans like in venice or something they were the only women allowed in the library yeah they got like, special access yeah because they had to be able to like hold their own with the men and like sit up late at night and smoke and drink and like hold court and then, and then you're like in bed um like manipulating policy and being like well you know i think blah 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 and i'm like that is that's who i i know that's who i, I would have been oh, yes i want to <laughs> be wearing nice clothes talking shit all night long i don't care what year it is that's what I want to be doing myself. Did you read um, did the uh, Handmaid's Tale? I did, a long time ago. I did, yeah. Because I hate the TV show, but I really enjoyed the book. And um, I didn't get past the first season of it. It's just like not for me. I'm just like okay. Whatever. No, it's like the world is hell. I'm gonna sit in my off time and watch women be persecuted like this. I know I'm not interested. Look, the book is like a novella and it should yeah. be a short, angry thing you read in an hour. It shouldn't be, or like whatever, like a, an afternoon. It shouldn't be a series, a TV series that we go through for fucking years because it's so angry and so dark and so bleak. Yes. It's like you want it. It's like a short story. Exactly. I watched that show and all I can think about is like a writer's room with like 15 people, like just spitballing about ways that women can be oppressed, abused, persecuted. I can't, I just, th there's no joy in that for me. I am not, I'm not interested. I don't think it should, I was like, why is this a TV show? Like this shouldn't be a TV show. I don't think, I think that it's, but I think as like a short piece of fiction, it's great. Yeah, I agree. Cause I love like an angry little short story or novella or like yeah. gross or aggressive or whatever. In a, Give in me a, a 90 page Joyce Carol Oates, literally any day of the week. <laughs> any day of the fucking week, but it should have been, it should have been a quibby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that is for real. <laughs> but like in the book, her best friend is like, so she becomes this like person who has to like have babies for people or whatever, but her best friend has to become like the prostitute and go to the brothel and she like breaks out and like finds her best friend who's like in this like brothel and it's presented as this like real as like even worse than what she's been going through because it's like so much more fucked up but it's like her best friend is like dressed head to toe in like she's wearing like fishnet stockings and like a gold bikini or something and they're like just like in this huge house that they all live in together and they're just like drinking all day and they just fucking chill out all fucking day and then at night these guys come and they have to like fuck them and hang out with them but then they like fall asleep or leave or whatever and then the next day they just start all over again and I was like her life seems way better than yours I would I like what on what planet am I supposed to imagine that living in a mansion like basically the bachelor mansion with the other bachelorettes getting day drunk fucking guys whatever whatever and like looking hot and wearing like cute clothes all the time is worse than having to like wear a blanket over your body and like give birth all the time. Like 
that's supposed to be better because why? Be- it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I know. It's still like, like it, there being like a qualitative difference between those two things is sort is playing into the same dynamic that the entire thing is supposed to be pushing against. Exactly. Cause it's like the only problem with it is like a moral judgment about like a woman's purity or whatever. And like the, and it like, I feel like making that be morally or like worse for the woman is like saying that your body is like, like you are your moral worth is determined by like the amount of sexual partners that you have or that like giving birth is like the pinnacle of feminine female identity which is like supposed to be the opposite of what the book is about yeah well or like female usefulness like usefulness yeah um did you see that movie uh it's from like 10 years ago house of tolerance no it is a French movie and it's about a brothel at the turn of the century in Paris. And it is exactly what you're talking about. It's that day to day. It's like very in the brothel. Like these are the women, these are like the mundane habits, how they like prep in between clients, how they wash, what they talk about, like what they do in their off time. Um, and uh it's i mean there's there's a there's a lot more to it than that and uh something shocking happens kind of towards the beginning of the movie and there's like fallout from it and um it's aggie it is so good it's so good i want you to watch it so bad okay i'll watch it because it's also that like it's what we're talking about it's like the beauty of that time too and it's presented as this dying um like art Art. (laughs) yeah i mean kind of yeah and it's like the freedom and the trap of it at the same time i mean like that's like womanhood in a nutshell yeah We totally got, I feel like we get to the same conclusion at the end of every single one of these. I know. That's why. (laughs) We've got a point of view, which is like the most important thing. Yeah. That you and I have a point of view. Well, yeah. And this podcast has a point of view. Exactly. That's yes. (laughs) That is what matters most it is it is we have a we have a very clear brand i'm just kidding yes <laughs> we live in a gilded cage that's our brand um uh i've been in the quarantine i've been watching cassavetti's movies okay have you seen have, have you gotten have you gone down that road i don't think i've gone on like a cassavetti's like bender. Um, i've gone on a cassavetti's bender Okay, so like, what are you watching? Um, I watched Gloria, which is by far the most fun of them all. Okay. It's uh, Jenna Rollins. It's basically the professional, but Jenna Rollins is protecting a little boy. And it's especially fun, like, if you see some of the other movies. I watch Husbands, which is... <laughs> I feel like you might hate it or you might love these movies. I just watched a woman under the influence. 
Okay. Um, they're, they're just like really intense, improvised, very realistic. Um, the camera is close and you're like up in, you're like up in the situation and it's like volatile and intimate and intense and the men are the worst and like they're just like monsters the movie that i just watched i mean it's like i feel like he's gotten a lot of criticism over the years of being such a misogynist but you watch the movies and it's like he hates men he's like all of these movies are like we ruin everything or like anti-man yeah i mean i feel like that I feel like sometimes, like, really, like, brutal, like, feminist art can sometimes, like, come across that way, but I don't know. I guess I don't really know enough about Casavetes to say one way or the other. Well, he's, yeah, I mean, he, it's, it's super, it's super duty, but, but it's, like, look at how toxic we are. Look at, look at how, like, everything we touch just turns to shit. But, like, aren't you having fun with us? But aren't we fun? Aren't we fun? Don't you like what big, dumb morons we are? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just watched a movie that's, like, completely the opposite of this. And I don't know why I'm bringing it up right now. But, um... I never would have watched it and I never saw it. But did you ever see the movie Kick-Ass? I didn't. Is that with, um... It's with the, the, it's with Evan Peters, who's the guy from American Horror Story. (gasps) Evan Peters is in that? He's in it. He's young. He's like a teenager. Oh, boy. And, um, and Nicolas Cage is in it. And... Chloe Grace Moretz, right? Yeah, young Chloe Grace Moretz. I believe it is Chloe Grace Moretz, but she's like a child. Yeah. So I never would have watched that movie um, because I'm a bitch, but um, Brian like really likes it, I guess, and like put it just like kind of like on a whim turned it on. And Nicolas Cage plays this, like, deranged father who's, like, training his daughter to be a superhero. And he's doing it, like, at a Nicolas Cage 10. And it's, like, if the professional was – I mean, it's not. It's, like, a total – it's, it's like, an action – it's, like, one of those, like, down and dirty, like, independent action movies that are kind of annoying and gross but it reminded me of the professional but i was like this is like a happy the professional that doesn't have like a weird like sexual element to it yeah that is that really is a tough that that's a tough that's a tough one now i watched that movie so much when i was a kid and i watched it as an adult and like reading about luke besson and his um history and past it's it's pretty fucking hard to justify you know we all have our shit that we have to deal with and you can justify it or you cannot and you can just continue to yeah i don't know that one though well especially after seeing gloria which it feels like it just like 
it, it just like picked the bones off of it. I mean, there's shots that they that he rips off from Gloria and the premise is so similar. Like it's really crazy, but it's this middle-aged woman who had been working for the mob and this young boy whose family gets killed by gangsters and she takes him in and they're like on the run and she's protecting the boy. And, uh, and he, his like, father gave him these dying this dying wish to just like be a man he's like you just have to be a man and like you like you're the man like you like you don't trust anybody don't listen to anybody you know all, you only have yourself it's he the dad like gives him all this fucked up advice like right before he dies and then the whole movie the kid is like he's so good but he he's he's trying to accept accept the protection of this woman and also like step into his power it's really interesting especially after watching the other movies and there's this like there's a scene where she's trying to get him to leave and she's like come on let's go she's like being this like tough dame and he starts screaming at her and he's like a little kid and he's stomping his feet and he's like i am the man you are not the man. I am the man. He's like, I do anything I want. I'm the, you don't tell me what to do. And he's screaming at her. And it's like, that's what all of his, these movies are. It's just like some woman standing there being like, get your shit together. And the guy, and the guy is like, I'm a man. But he like recast it with like an actual child. With an actual child. It's like, yeah. First is tragedy, then is farce. Yeah, totally. Wow. Well, so do you think I should do a Casabetti's bender? I feel like get into it. It's it's pr- it's pretty fun. And Elaine May directed um, Mikey and Nikki, which is Peter Falk and John Casabetti's. And it's like a woman filming these guys and she's using like devised um, techniques. And she's also coming at it from like her comedy background and the way that she constructs like some of some of the scenes that they're acting or improvising through is is really interesting so like watching all these movies together has just been very cool to see how i don't know like they're they're kind of exploring these really human ideas and in a and and like in a very empathetic and like very intense way it's 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 awesome to see people like having the freedom to do that and to continue doing it and like keep heightening how they're, I don't know, playing with the the themes that interest them. Sorry, I just made us stop because I had to get a phone call from Amazon Fresh, which is so fucked up, but um, we were nearing the end anyway. Yes, we were. Um, should I pull up random word generator? Yes. I want to do another one. This like literally, I don't know. This is so fun to me. It's very fun for me too. I have one. What is it? Mainstream. Oh my God. Irene. (laughs) This is like the most fun idea anyone's ever had. I'm loving every second of this fucking project. Me too. Okay. So next week we're going to talk about mainstream. 
Today we talked about Crown. And next time we're going mainstream. We're going mainstream. So uh, feel free to rate us if you want. Tell a friend, share. Please rate us. Only give us five stars. We will not accept anything less. Well, we will, but we prefer five star. We definitely do. Um, Any final thoughts, Aggie? Any final thoughts on Crown? No, just that, you know, crowns are bad. Monarchy is bad. And that's Royalty the end. Bad. And that's what I think. Bye. Gonna trust the experts on this one. Yeah, you know me, it's sick. no fun. Open up your mouth, stick out your tongue. Gonna trust the experts. Gonna trust the experts.